Amen. Hey, so if you were here on Friday night, uh, you were here for quite the treat. Uh, but if you don't know, uh, the youth have been hard at work all week, and they had uh, what we love to call uh, worship band camp. And uh, on Friday night, they had uh, their uh, worship concert uh, for the band camp. And it was truly moving. I was literally moved to tears myself. Uh, and as one of you put, uh, kind of had a, like a proud papa moment where I was like, this is awesome. These kids are amazing. Um, and, um, and you've gotten to see a taste of it this morning as well. Uh, a couple things before we get going here. So I said it last week, going to say it again this week, uh, but in the narthex, this is for the first time now, uh, they, we have the table of opportunity. <laughs> this is a Jeff Sechristism, I think, that or he took it from someone else. But Jeff's going to be back there after the service is, lets out. Um, in all seriousness, uh, one of the things that we highly value here at South Run is, uh, is your engagement. We want you to be part of what this church does. We want you to be uh, participants, uh, not just um, kind of looking from the sidelines or, or coming in on a Sunday morning and, and just uh, consuming and then walking out. We want you to be part of what we do here. Uh, and so what's out there is a list of all the things that it takes to run a church. Uh, and uh, there are like really small things you can do, and then there are some bigger things you can do. And so hopefully as you walked in today, uh, you received uh, one of these uh, right here. Uh, if you don't have it, we'll be sure to get you one afterward. They're sitting just outside as well. And so as you go this week and next week and the week after, we'll, we'll be doing this just for the month of August here. Um, in all seriousness, please pray about where you think God might be using you and calling you into service at South Run. Um, if you have questions, we've given you the names of the people who know the answers. <laughs> I know some answers, uh, but these are the people who run these teams. Uh, and so, especially this front side, you've got Beth Davis uh, is our discipleship leader, and she does such a fabulous job pulling together, uh, frankly, an enormous ministry, and she's got lots of answers. Uh, Cheryl Hinkle is normally up here on a Sunday morning leading worship. Uh, she, too, has answers about what it means to be part of the worship team. Uh, Randy Cornell uh, has answers about what it means to run the fellowship team and the various needs that we have there. Uh, outreach is Dina Hugel, and we would love to get you plugged in with what we're doing with Outreach, so please talk to her if that's of interest to you. There's also a bunch of names on the back. I won't read them to you, though. <clears throat> um, we are at the end uh, of Galatians. We made it through, folks. This is our, our final week. Galatians 6.18 is the last verse of the letter, and so we're we're pulling it all together uh, today, uh, and as we do, let's begin in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come this morning inviting you into this place, into this sanctuary, into your house. God, we know that you are already here, but we are making an active invitation, each of us, inviting your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to enter our hearts, we are looking for your word this morning. We are asking you, Lord, what do we do? Where do we go? 
Who are you making me into? God, please answer our prayers. Please show up this morning and demonstrate to each and every one of us that you desire for us to be a new creation. We will give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor that is due to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, one last time, folks. Open your Bibles. We'll turn to Galatians chapter 6, and we will uh, finish up the book of Galatians. We uh, are again in verse 11. I'm just going to go ahead and read through the whole thing one more time. Uh, And I want to emphasize, and and really the sermon is primarily around this one two-letter phrase, uh, or sorry, two-word phrase that shows up in here, and that is new creation, new creation. I I think this letter, uh, and frankly, the scriptures as a whole, uh, the the trajectory uh, is leading all of us in that direction. That's what Revelation 21-22 is new creation. Uh, The letter to the uh, Galatians here, new creation. So starting in verse 11, This is what Paul says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This may come as a surprise. Uh, He probably didn't like physically pen the rest of the letter. Uh, In that day and age, you might have like a secretary or what's called an amanuensis write it for you. And then, but now he's like, all right, I'm jumping in the driver's seat. I'm grabbing the pen, and I'm going to write this in huge letters at the tail end, right, so that you know I'm writing in all caps at this point, right? I, I, I want you to not miss the purpose of, of what I've written this whole letter for. And he goes on. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in one thing, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then he gets to the heart of it all, and he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And the heart of it is, he's like, I know I've written a whole letter, right? Six chapters worth of material. And he's like, in some ways, whether you do it or you don't do it, it doesn't matter, right? That's not the aim of this. He says, these two words are, this is the whole point I've been trying to make for six chapters, Paul says. God wants you to be a new creation, a new creation. And he goes on, he says, and as for all who walk by this rule, right? And here the idea is he has set out a standard, right? He has, uh, the rule is like literally the word for like a ruler, uh, as in like something you measure things with. And, and, if, and he's saying, if you measure your life by this one rule, that God desires that we be a new creation, he says, well, then we've done it, right? So for all of those who walk that way, well, peace and mercy will be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, 
For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. There's a few things I want to say about new creation. Um, The first thing goes like this. There's really great news. Uh, With God, when we talk about creation, literally all things are possible, right? When we talk about new creation, all things are possible because we're talking about the creator of the universe, right? We can't look around and see something. We can't smell something. We can't think something that hasn't already been in existence before that God himself didn't somehow like create, right? And so everything you've ever experienced in this life is because of our creator God who has unimaginable imagination, right? This is the God who is able to do all things. And we could walk through all of Scripture and we could see all of the miracles that God performs throughout the Scriptures, right? And so if you get to, your, uh, get to a place in life where you say to yourself, I just think I'm stuck. I, I don't think there's any way forward for me in life at this point. I've either been doing the same thing over and over and I keep failing, or I'm stuck in a situation that just there seems to be literally no way forward. What I would want you to know this morning is that is a lie. And that with all things, with the good news of the new creation, is that all things are possible with our creator, God. I would turn you to... uh, Uh, Matthew chapter 9. If you want to, you can. It's a story that you know. Uh, This is Jesus interacting uh, with the the paralytic, right? There's a man who has been paralyzed. And, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and read it to you. It goes like this. So getting into a boat, he crossed over and he came to his own city. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Behold, some of the scribes said, uh, This man's blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. And the crowd saw it, and they were afraid. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. It's interesting to me, and we'll come back to this, that Jesus begins this uh, encounter with the paralytic uh, by uh, going straight to his heart. Right? And he offers forgiveness first. He, does, he doesn't go straight to the body. He goes straight to the heart. This will become important momentarily. But I want you to put yourself in the place of this man for just a minute. Right? And uh, if you're living in the first century and you're a paralytic, like it's, it's hard enough in the 21st century. Right? We're, we're putting an elevator in here uh, so that we, we can get people up and down uh, our, our building, right? That we're saying to you, like, it's hard enough as it is in the 21st century, and we're trying to make modern conveniences so that you can uh, do what you need to do as part of our body of believers. 
You better believe in the first century, if you're paralyzed and you've got friends who have to cart you around everywhere, that is a rough life, right? You're dependent, wholly and solely dependent on other people to get you where you need to go, to get food to you, to make anything at all happen. You can't hold down a job, right? This man's life is hardly to be called a life. We're talking about new creation because what happens here is Jesus comes along and he does what? He heals him. And for the first time in his life, he's standing up able to be a fully bodied human being. Now, we mark our calendars uh, B.C. and A.D., right, before Christ, and Anno Domini is in the year of our Lord, right? I assure you, this man, he did too. There was the day before he met Jesus, and there very much was the day after he met Jesus. And these two worlds couldn't be farther apart. And he became in, him, in himself a new creation in a very physical, like visible kind of way. He was a wholly different person walking through this world. Of course, it started with what? Your sins are forgiven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't want to stop there in your life either. He desires more than that for you too. There is a bit of bad news, however. When it comes to new creation, the bad news is that, um, well, this might hurt a bit. (laughs) Uh, If any of us have experienced change in life, we know that it often comes with pain, right? No pain, no gain is one way we say this. But we see this um, in a variety of other ways as well. Even in Galatians 6, uh, right before he gets the piece about there being a new creation, what does he say? He says he boasts in one thing. You remember that part, the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross, which sounds great. Somebody else dying for us. Good start, right? But he doesn't stop there. It goes on. It says, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. You see, new creation often pulls us into a place where it hurts, and the change that is required to become the new creation does not always feel good. The truth will set you free in life, but not before it has its way with you. I have a story to read. Uh, Some of you have read this before. Uh, This is lengthy. I think you'll enjoy it, though. This is from uh, the Narnia series, and this is Eustace. Uh, the, the, The character's name is Eustace Scrub, and he was an awful person. He was just a horrible human being, and he gets introduced in what I think is the third book, uh, and it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And uh, the kids meet this uh, cousin, I think he's a cousin, uh, used to scrub in, at the beginning of the book, and he's just uh, super annoying to be around uh, until this moment uh, where he gets to a magical island. And on the magical island, he's acting horribly and, and selfishly, and, and he goes off uh, by himself 
uh, and he finds a dragon, actually. And the dragon dies, and he takes all the dragon's stuff, and he include, including uh, like, a, um, like a bracelet that he puts on. And then he wakes up the next morning, himself turned into a dragon. Do you know the story? If you don't, it's okay. So he wakes up as a dragon, and the next uh, thing he has to do is figure out, oh no, how do I become not a dragon? But the truth is that he was always a dragon, right? This is what C.S. Lewis is trying to teach us through this, is that in his awful state before, he was a dragon. He just didn't look like a dragon, right? He needed to be changed out of that kind of clothing. He just didn't know that he needed to until in this magical world, he becomes a dragon. And so Eustace, I'll pick it up here, he tells his story this way. He says, I looked up and I saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion, Aslan, uh, coming slowly toward me. And one strange thing was that there was no moon last night, but there was moonlight where the lion was. So it came nearer and nearer. I was terribly afraid of it. You might think that being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough. And he says, it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you understand. Well, it came close up to me and looked straight into my eyes. And I shut my eyes tight. But that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. I knew I'd have to do what it told me, so I got up and I followed it, and it led me a long way into the mountains, and there was a garden, and there were trees, and there was fruit and everything. In the middle of it, there was a well, and the water was as clear as anything, and I thought, if I could get in there, if I could bathe, that will ease my pain from the bracelet that was on his leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began coming off all over the place. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. And then the lion said, You will have to let me undress you. And I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you. But I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back to let him do it. And the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it it's just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeled off. Well, he peeled that beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it to myself all those other times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin on. 
and he threw me into the water. And it hurt like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I'd been turned into a boy again. I love this story so much. And C.S. Lewis does a masterful job with all of the little details in it, right? The sense that he comes out on the other side of this experience a little smaller. The feeling of like the, the raw nature of having one's sin or one's hurt or, or whatever it is just out in front of you and seeing how dark and gross that was feeling a sense of victory, that it is no longer you. It does not define you anymore. And instead, it is this other thing that is there. And you ask yourself, how was that ever part of me? Why would I allow that in my own life? But often the path to get to that is filled with pain and hurt and some hard conversations with some folks and, and some people that maybe we've hurt along the way. And so new creation is good news. But often, to get to it, it can be hard. It's serious work to do. And I don't know about you, but this story resonates with me because it represents some of my own life. And I can see myself in Eustace, who at one point was this annoying little kid, and then after this point in his life, he's set on a different kind of trajectory. Not that the work of maturity is done, not that the work of spiritual growth is just somehow complete, because it's not for Eustace, and it's not for me, and I'm certain it's not for you either. But he is a different person after this. He is almost literally a new creation. But what I like about Lewis and how he is just so tuned into the scriptural uh, resonances, he is a new creation, but he's also a boy again, right? And what Paul teaches us is that Jesus desires that we become like him, and in some ways we find a new way to be human, but that new way to be human is a whole lot like that old way to be human, and namely, not the human now, but the Adam version and the, the Eve version before they ever fell. So how this works, the last thing I want to say is that throughout Scripture, especially in the writings of Jesus, and we've seen it through Paul's letters, how this works is that we must aim for the heart. As Paul says, circumcision and uncircumcision are nothing. Right? Those outward manifestations, they're nothing. It is what's happening in here that matters most. 
Jesus uh, says this in any number of ways at any number of times, and I'll just give you a few. In John 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, and remember what he says? He says, you must be born again, right? You must be a new creation, and Nicodemus is confused, and he's like, what do you mean? Like, I, I, I can't be born all over again, and Jesus is like, come on, man. Uh, you're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the flesh. We are talking about the Spirit, right? That's what he says. We need a spiritual rebirth from you, Nicodemus. Or when he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees uh, in Matthew chapter 23, and he is just unleashing on them, and he says what? You are whitewashed tombs, which is another, it's kind of a, uh, an unhanded way of saying, on the outside, your exterior looks great, but inside, there's death, right? You're a tomb. You've got death in there. And Jesus wants to say to them, let's clean that out, right? Let's deal with that hard issue, and let's change you from the inside out. Or he tells a parable uh, of, of two guys in a church, and there's one guy right up front, and he's shouting and praising Jesus for the fact that, uh, well, he's not actually praising Jesus, but he's He's praying to God loudly and saying, thank you so much that I'm not like that sinner who's way in the back, right? And he's got this very outward show. And the guy in the back is just simply doing work with God. And he's saying, forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner, right? And what happens? Jesus applauds the man in the back who quietly and reverently is doing business with God in his heart. And he has some stern words for the man up front, right? Or perhaps most profoundly, in Matthew 15, we read Jesus say this. And here he is comparing what's happening on our exterior with what's happening on our interior. So he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of it. Then the disciples came and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say this? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has will not be rooted up again. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both fall into a pit. But Peter said, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you still not understanding, Peter? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth, and here is the point, it proceeds from the heart, right? And this is his whole point. It proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes your evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This sounds a lot like Paul, doesn't it? Back in Galatians 5. He's saying out of the heart place. That's where all of this is sitting. That's the place that needs to be cleaned out. Jesus is essentially saying that he desires for us to be well, not unlike um, Renee's uh, sermon illustration for us here. He desires to clean us out completely, right? And in doing so, what happens? We take what is second nature and it becomes natural to us, 
to put it this way, um, for those of us uh, who have been driving for a long time, you know that you can drive around even busy streets and realize that you've not been paying attention to what is happening around you. Yeah, have you had this experience? But I'm about to teach a 15-year-old how to drive. Please pray for me. And uh, I assure you, I want every piece of his brain focused on what he is doing as he is driving, right? I want every focus to be on that. But true story, just the other day, I'm driving on the parkway, and my son Asher, only seven, says, Daddy, where are we going? And I say, home. And he says, why didn't we turn back there? <laughs> right? <laughs> and then I kind of wake up from whatever trance I was in, and I realize I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and the point being, I've learned to drive well enough. I'm not saying this is great, uh, but well enough that it's second nature, and it's something that comes quite naturally to me. And so I don't have to think about all the details of driving because, well, I've been doing it for 20-some-odd years, right? It's not dissimilar to the, uh, the auto mechanic who, who works in, with automobiles long enough, and after you do it a while, you figure out, oh, this is how these things work, and, and you just kind of do it. Or the, the professional musician who's up here uh, and can play a mean guitar riff, right? And then you ask, well, how'd you do that? And I don't know, I just do it now, right? It just kind of comes out. It's, it's part of who I am, or the chef, uh, who's able to whip up a, a, a great meal, and you're like, well, how'd you do that? And then they'd kind of have to think back through, and they, it's just part of what they do because they've been doing it for so long. And becoming a new creation is not dissimilar. It's actually quite a lot like that. That God desires to change your heart in such a way so that what you do by just living in life resonates with the kind of life that God has called us to in our scriptures. Now, what do we do with all of this? I could point you to what we pointed to last week, which is uh, the end of Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, and I could say uh, essentially everything I did last week, and, and it's worth saying again. In fact, you should do that every day. You should, do, you should wake up every day and ask yourself, hey, how's my peace tree going? <laughs> Remember, that's what we plant, I planted last week, right? And I'm, I'm tilling that soil, and I'm working on that thing, and, and we could do all that over again, and it would be valuable to us, and I encourage you to do just that. Today, I, I want to take it one step further, and I want to share a, a quote with you that I, I rather liked. Actually, if we can pull it up, guys, it's the, it's the one by N.T. Wright. Um, uh, he, he writes this, and he's talking about new creation, and he's talking about our transformation. And he says, our task as image-bearing Stop. We are image bearers of God. This is what Genesis teaches us, right? We bear God's image. He has put his stamp on us. We are God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world. There is so much in all of that. That line alone like, is just filled with who we should be. We should bear God's image. We should love God well. We should be people who are uh, shaped into the person of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I would just simply add that if we're doing those things, it, it, it's not like, eventually it's not a force of the will. Like we're not just like forcing ourselves into that box. With enough practice, enough time, it becomes second nature and we become new creation who operates this way in the world by our very natures. And he goes on, and then this is the part that I want to leave with you. Our job is what? He says, our job is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. If you, like Eustace, have been transformed by Christ, then you too know that you have a hope to share with people. And so I want you to pay attention this week. I want you to look around in your life and ask, who in your life has discovered their fallenness? Who has discovered their brokenness? Who is operating out of exploitation, fear, and suspicion? And who needs you to proclaim to them that there is a different way, that there is hope, that love and trust are possible? Think back onto your own Eustace story of transformation in your life. If you've had something like this, have you ever shared it with anybody? Maybe it's your spouse or your kids or your family. Maybe it's a friend. My encouragement this week is to find the person who needs that story who needs to know that they're not alone in this broken, fallen world filled with exploitation and fear and suspicion. They're not alone because you too have been there and you've watched God redeem you. You've watched God give you hope. If you can take that authenticity out into a world that needs it, that is filled with the power of Christ for new creation. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, through whom a way was made for our forgiveness, yes, but more for our new creation. It is through the cross the new creation is even possible. And so, God, for that, we give you thanks, and we give you praise. Amen. Friends, it is a communion Sunday, which means that we are going to take communion together. <clears throat> uh, if you've not been here before, or maybe you've been here and um, you've not been here on a communion Sunday, we've been doing communion a slightly different way lately. Uh, and so just to remind us of, of how we do this, uh, in a moment, I'm going to have our servers come up and, and they're going to stand one over here, one set over here, uh, and, uh, and they will be there, uh, one with a loaf uh, and the other with a tray filled with cups. Uh, you will come forward and they will break off a piece and put it into your hand that you've put in front of them. 
uh, and they will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll take that bread and you'll walk to the next person and, and they will have cups and you'll take a cup and they will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. If you need uh, either a sealed cup, because you'd rather not have someone give you um, the bread out of their own hand, we are going to have those on the left side over here. If you need a gluten-free option, that too will be over here uh, on your left. As they are giving these to you, and as you walk back to your seat with them, by the way, and, and we will take communion all together at the same time, as you find your way back to your seat, uh, my encouragement today is that you reflect on the new creation that Christ has offered to you personally, the ways in which he has already changed you at a core level, and then maybe offer up to your confession and offer over the ways in which, like Eustace, you might still need God's uh, undressing and getting into your heart and taking off a few more scales that have built up over time. Uh, can we have the servers come forward together? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, <clears throat> he had a meal with his friends, and they gathered together, uh, and he, uh, he ate and drank with them, just like he did on every other night. Uh, but Jesus knew something that they didn't know, and that was on the very next day, that he was going to give himself up for the sins of the world. He was going to be that tool through whom we all have access to God and the ability to enter into a new creation and better yet, to become a new creation. As we enter into God's presence now, let's begin with prayer.